This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's good! It's good! It's good! It's your inside pass to everything Saints football. We'll take you to the places most fans never go. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room. Following every twist, Hakeem drops the ball, turn, picks a flow, and touchdown Hell is frozen over. of the 2022 season. It is going to be covered by the Saints for a touchdown. Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. Hello, you Hoodads. Welcome into another edition of Inside Black and Gold. I'm here along with Jeff Nowak, and it is brought to you by Lamarck Automotive Complex. There must be a reason. Jeff, how you hanging this week five? I know it's been brutal, the three-game losing skid. I'm back on New Orleans time, uh, getting reacclimated to from London life, and it's been a little weird. You know, the sleep schedule is a little messed up but for the most part it has not been an issue i'm just hoping that means some kind of back to winning and positive news for this team coming up later in the show we're gonna have bob condota seahawks reporter for the seattle times it's gonna break down a lot of what we're gonna see with the seahawks matchup in week five stick around for that later in the show but first i don't know about you but i'm getting really tired of talking about a bad football team and i don't care what you tell me a one in three football team is a bad football team you can have all the talent in the world. If you're losing football games, you're a bad football team. And that's what the Saints have been through four games. But one thing that really stood out to me this week is just kind of like, I think this fans are kind of at a breaking point. Because in no world should Latavius Murray, a guy who literally nobody wanted until three weeks ago. I mean, and that's not me saying that. That's the NFL saying that because he was sitting on his couch until three weeks ago. He runs for 57 yards and a touchdown on 10 carries. Suddenly, to Saints fans... He is the mecca of all things running back. And the Broncos come in and sign him. And it is this huge, huge thing. Like, man, the Saints are getting bullied again. They're making mistakes. They're doing all this stuff wrong. And, like, I get it. But, first of all, cool your Jets, right? This is Latavius Murray. This is not, like, the second coming of Jerome Bettis, right? This is a guy who you know what to expect out of, and he played well. But... First off, Mark Ingram had the exact same game in week two. The only difference is he fumbled the ball. <laughs> right. Right. Like he he averaged six yards a carry in week two. So like that was the thing. Like, and we're gonna get into this and why that the outrage over the Saints not offering him a contract is not only overblown, it's inaccurate. But you know, what was your reaction when you saw that he was signed off the practice squad? At first, I was definitely confused because he was brought up to the active roster and I had just assumed that he was still there and, and you know, it was interesting finding out the whole, you know, the rules and of everything with the NFL and the practice squad and the poaching, the poaching rule. And, you know, I, finding out too, then the Saints tried to keep him, but, you know, he opted for Denver where there was more of an opportunity because at best he's going to be behind a healthy Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram, whereas the situation in Denver is different where He's basically their number two guy. Yeah, so we we talked to Mike Michael Parenton, the Saints director of pro personnel on WWL this week, and he he laid it. He went into a lot of it. So there are a few details to keep in mind. We'll kind of go through the practice squad here. So since COVID, there have been a lot of rule changes as it pertains to the practice squad. You know what you can do with practice squad players. You know whether you can protect them from being signed by other teams that sort of thing. So this season, you can have 16 players on your practice squad, right? In the last two seasons, you have had quote unquote standard elevations and COVID elevations. Right. COVID elevations were unlimited and you could bring a player up 
if you had a COVID absence, you could bring a player up as many times as you wanted. You could have him on the roster six, seven, eight times as long as there was a COVID substitution you were making. That's not the case anymore. Now you can bring two players up per week and you can bring them up as many as three times throughout the season before you have to sign them to the active roster, right? We've seen it happen with Christian Ringo. We saw it happen with J.P. Holtz this week. And we also saw it happen with Atavius Murray. So that was how he was on the roster. So the idea there is you can get guys from the practice squad onto the active roster and have game action without having to do what you would have in the past, which was you would have had to wave someone on your active roster. Then you would have to sign the player from the practice squad to the 53. And then in order to get them back to the practice squad, you would have to cut them and yeah. subject them to waivers, which would mean anyone could come in and claim them. And then they would go back to the practice squad, right? And so like, that's a very you know drawn out process for what is essentially like, yeah, we want to get a look at a guy, right? right. You want to get 10 to 15 snaps, whatever. And uh, so this is, this is what Mike had to say on WWL this week. So, you know, Latavius was, was an interesting guy for us because we obviously had a great experience with him. We love the person. Uh, we love the body type. <clears throat> you know, 32 years old, guys like that, they do find themselves come the beginning of the season still on the street because it's a little bit of unfamiliar territory where everybody's always trying to find younger, more developmental players that they can maybe buy low and end up hitting on. Uh, and some of these veteran players aren't necessarily open to the veteran practice squad spot right at the beginning of the year because they hope that maybe there's an injury at the position and they just get signed out right to the active roster. And then also the other wrinkle to the situation is that if someone signs a player off of your practice squad, they have to commit three weeks to keeping that player on their roster. Um, and so veteran players feel as though they don't want to, they don't want to be locked into a team because no one wants to commit to them for three weeks. So some guys would be like, I'd rather stay on the street. That way they can just sign me as needed, as opposed to worrying about keeping me for three weeks. All that being said, Latavius was a great addition. We called him up and, you know, when we needed him, he had a great game for us. He was definitely a difference in that game. And uh, we would have loved to have kept him. But I, I think in, in the player's mind that there was a greater opportunity to contribute in a more significant role with those guys having a major injury at their running back position. And it was nothing about, you know, anything from the opportunity here versus there. It, it was just, you know, it's a greater opportunity to be more involved quicker for Latavius. And, and I'm happy for him. He, de he deserved it. The other thing Mike said that I think is a very good quote, if nothing else, is we're not keeping any hostages here, right? Like this guy wanted to <laughs> yeah. leave. So one thing that's changed this season is in the last two seasons, you were able to protect a guy. You were able to, I think it was four players last year that you could, every week you could say, okay, this is a protected player. So teams couldn't come in and claim them off your practice squad. That actually went away. So it's something that was changed this year. So you can't protect players. But what Mike said when is interesting, the Saints never used that function when it was available. If a team comes in and tries to sign someone off the Saints practice squad, you know, in a majority of cases, as, as Mike kind of laid it out, they're going to say, well, we'll give you a spot on our 53. And then it's up to the player to make that decision. And in this case, DA decided to go to Denver. There's a few reasons why I think that was the case, right? The first is pretty obvious. Javante Williams went down with an injury. So that backfield is effectively Melvin Gordon and a bunch of backups, right? So if you're looking at a situation where you can make an impact, right? He could be the lead running back by the end of the season if, if he plays well. That was never going to happen in New Orleans. It was not an option. And also, at best, he's competing with Mark Ingram for the RB2 reps. And while everyone has told me they're ready to kick Mark Ingram to the curb for some reason because it's, you know, it's the flavor of the week as Latavius Murray, you know, in order to keep him around, you would have probably had to commit like saying, no, you are the RB2 regardless of what happens the rest of the way. Right. Right. You are you, like, we will give you that job and we will say, okay, Mark, try to make a tackle on special teams because that's what you need out of the RB3. And so even if you said, hey, we're going to give you the first shot at this, if you went out there and laid a dud, you're, you're going to tell me that you're in a situation where you're not going to say, well, let's see what Mark has, right? So like, even if they did offer him that RB2 spot, it was going to be with the restrictions of like, yeah, if you play bad, you're going to lose that job. <laughs> but whereas in Denver, I think he was good. He's going to have some time to work into that role and he has some cushion. So it just makes sense. I think what really ticked off the fans too is the fact that Latavius is just a different style of runner, obviously a different body type. And he kind of, not kind of, he did, he powered his way into the end zone, getting that touchdown. And it was really a 
let off of steam from even fans, that relief of, you know, of scoring a touchdown and the manner in which he did it. You could just tell he was, you know, trying his darndest. And that really, I think, made folks wonder why he hadn't been on this roster kind of thing all along when he was available. But I, I, I mean, you got Alvin Kamara at least coming back this week. You know, he's RB1 no matter what. And I can't see Latavius being able to supplant uh, Mark Ingram, uh, especially with what, what he all does on the offense and on special teams. That's the scenario you found yourself in, right? Like, at best, you're you're giving him an opportunity to compete with Mark Ingram. And you would expect and even Alvin Dwayne, Kamara back. We've seen Dwayne Washington running well. Yeah, right. So, like, yeah, it's a crowded backfield, and I don't blame him for a second for going out to Denver. The other thing to keep in mind, and this is a very important factor when you're signing someone off another team's practice squad, is you are required to keep them on your roster for three weeks. That is a rule. Right. So, when you're Latavius Murray and you are deciding between two deals, the Saints don't have to. That's not a rule the Saints have to follow. You don't have to keep a guy on your roster for three weeks if you sign them off your own practice squad. So by accepting the Broncos' offer, that means that he is guaranteed three weeks. If he signed with the Saints, he's not even guaranteed one. Like That deal is not guaranteed. They could obviously make him verbal guarantees, and he could take them for their word, and I don't think the Saints are going to lie to him. But the fact is, he has a guaranteed three-week contract with the Broncos, and the Saints were not locked into that same deal, right? So I think that's that's a that's a part of the equation. The other thing that I think is important here is like the whole point of of these practice squad elevations is so guys can get action, right? So Latavius ending up on the Broncos isn't a sign of like something being broken with the Saints and how they're operating. It's the system working. It's it's the the system that was in place to work working. And he's not the only player that's got called up and looked good. He's just the only player that got called up and fits a team that is desperate for a running back right now. But, you know, and we I just flashed this clip up of one of his runs. One thing that never gets talked about when running backs have a good game is, you know, the blocking is a factor too, hmm. right? One of the guys who got called up, and I asked Pete about this today, and, we, and uh, Michael Parenton talked about it here, is uh, J.P. Holt. This is a guy who was very close to breaking onto the 53-man roster in, in training camp, I believe. I think he was going up against Adam Prentice for that either fullback or H role. You could you can get it done with either player. And I thought he looked excellent in his limited action in week four, right? He got called for a hold, which I would argue was a, was a ticky-tack holding call. But in this play right here, tell me that this is, a, this is Latavius Murray being an excellent running back, picking up five, six yards here. And you can see that's, that's Holt coming across. I mean, do you need is is being able to run through this hole a sign that you are that you are like in peak NFL form, or is that just a twelve foot gap that you just have to get to? Yeah, right? I could have picked up a few there for sure. Right, like exactly. Like if it it doesn't matter if it was Mark Ingram, if it was Alvin Kamara. No, the vision to get to it is is good, you know. But I that's the design of the play, and so I give JP Holtz a lot more credit for this play than I give Latavius Murray. He's just going where the hole is, right? So like. That's a factor here. A lot of these runs aren't just existing because Latavius Murray is on the field. One, the Vikings were not expecting Latavius Murray to be on the field, so they weren't game planning for a for a bruising running back. And two, you know, this is a good offensive line play. The tight end blocked well, and so you picked up six, seven, eight yards. It's it's not a situation where you're desperate for Latavius Murray. You were desperate for a run game that works, and I think that. You have a lot more positives here than just Latavius Murray running well, and so that's what you want to build off. But the, the reaction to Latavius getting signed off the practice squad is way more about the rest of the stuff that's going on with this team than like Latavius being some sort of savior of this season, right? That's not what this is, in my opinion. Yeah, and what's funny is we kind of joked about this earlier when we were in the Saints locker room about the fact that Murray's not going to be active for Thursday night football, obviously just getting back from London, uh, still not really acclimated to the Denver playbook, but they did elevate someone we're familiar with from their practice squad, which is Divina Zigbo. So the saints could technically turn right around and poach him and bring him back to new Orleans. 
Yeah, that, no, we're recording before Thursday Night Football. This this right. won't post until afterwards, so we won't know. But yeah, if he goes out there and rushes for 100 yards and then the Saints come in and sign him off the practice squad, that would be pretty funny. The other thing that's funny is, and we talked about this, Eric Wilson, the, the one no one's talking about, Eric Wilson, another former Viking, got, got signed by the Packers off the Saints practice squad. And not only does he have to go play for the Packers, he has to go back to London because they're in London this week. And he didn't even stay in London. He came back to New Orleans and then had to go back out to London. That flight is brutal. Obviously, he's on a much more comfortable plane than I was, but and had more has more leg room, probably a nice little cubicle that's got a bed in it. But still, that that's a hell of a flight and brutal. Right. You want to talk about jet lag? Oh. Try doing that trip twice oh. in two weeks. <laughs> that sounds miserable. So let's get into some more news and notes before we close out this segment. One of the things, you know, it looks like we're going to get another Andy Dalton week. Jameis hasn't been on the practice field Wednesday or Thursday. You know, we got the injury report. You also haven't seen Alvin Calvin Throckmorton, but Andrews Pete is back out there. You haven't dude. seen Peyton Turner with a chest injury, and P.J. Williams is dealing with a quad injury. But the two big names are obviously Mike Thomas with a toe issue, Jameis Winston with the back and ankle issue. It's hard to believe after missing last week, right? Whenever you miss a game and then you miss the first two days of practice, I have a really hard time seeing you getting on the field. Like if you played last week and then you got out there on Friday, I could see it because, you know, it's just you needed a couple extra days. In this case, you had a week and a half. (laughs) So if you're not out there, it's because you can't get out there. And so, yeah, I would be stunned. If either of those players gets out there, I would be stunned if they're not just ruled out. Yeah. And what gives with Taysom? He's working back with the quarterback group, but he's still not in a red jersey. So that's pretty interesting. I want to know if his role will still be your QB2 or is he going to be more of your Swiss Army knife that you're depending on? Because this team needs all the weapons it can right now. I mean, we've, we've talked about this a bit. I think that part of Taysom throwing passes in practice is A, you need people to throw practice reps, right? right? You have Andy Dalton and Jake Luton out there. Jake Luton is on the 53. So, you know, he's sticking around. He's going to be your backup. I don't know. It'll be interesting to find out if we ever have to find out. The hierarchy, if right. Andy Dalton does go down, is it Taysom Hill or is it Jake Luton that goes in? I, I would guess I Taysom Hill. Him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but either way, I still think like at a certain point, even if Taysom isn't, the backup quarterback, you will have to have him throw a pass. Eventually, right? right? The way you're operating, you're basically just setting up a big play at some point in the season. I don't know when it is, but it's, it's essentially the same as having Alvin Kamara throw a pass. Like you do it when they are literally just not expecting it. And once they start covering you as a running back in the backfield completely, you know, with no one over the top, that's when you lob it downfield for a big gain. And you're, I think you're just waiting for that big moment. You don't want to do it on first and 10 when you're up by 15, right? You don't want to do it on third and goal when you're down by 40. Right. But like you want it to be, when it, when it happens, you want it to matter. And so I think that's what you're doing. And you need to practice throwing the football. You can't just say, oh, Taysom, you're a tight end all the time. And then now throw a pass. Like you need to practice. Well, that's so, yeah. another thing I know you, you, I'm sure you see it on social as well. The fans are getting aggravated with the fact that anytime Taysom lines up at quarterback, it's like, if we know he's running the football, the defense has to know the same thing. We, when are we going to see Taysom drop back and throw at least a pass this year? Well, I mean, what I say to that is I don't really care whether they know because it still works. Right. QB power is still working, but I mean, you, you know that, you know what's coming. And I guess I, I hear you. You want it to be, a sneaky play that you need to unleash when uh, they're least expecting it, maybe in a close a tie game or, you know, only up by a score or two, a uh, score or down by a score. But I mean, man, oh man, I, I thought it, we at least see Taysom throw one pass so far already this season, but that hasn't been the case. No, I think he's a, he is a power running back. Like that's essentially how he's being used. He's not being used as a quarterback. He's being used as a power running back. He's not he's even not running really his own being reason. used as a tight end either. No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> He's not a tight end. There is there is nothing tight end about his role. He is a running right. quarterback. Uh, you know, he is a change up quarterback uh, in this system. And you know, maybe that changes once you kind of get back to your normal system. 
but you know, at this point he is a, he is a quarterback who runs the ball and I'm okay with that. Like, I think that is the right way to use him. I don't want to see him out there throwing passes. You know, you, you want to keep the option open and you want, you want to make them have to respect it at least a little bit. And I think people still are teams still are to an extent, but I mean, the whole point of QB power action is we have an extra blocker on the field and we're going to put a hat on a hat and you are not going to be able to stop it. And that's what happened on first and goal against the Vikings in a moment that actually gave the saints the lead. That was a big point in that game. The defense couldn't hold up on the next drive and they allowed the Vikings to go straight downfield and score a touchdown aided by some penalties to be fair. But like that's first and goal. You can say all day you want. Oh, the Vikings know exactly what the Saints are going to do. Yeah, cool. Stop it. Right. They didn't. That was the easiest touchdown. You know how hard it is to score in the red zone, right? The Vikings kicked five field goals in that game. Three of them came inside the red zone. The Saints are like third in the NFL at holding teams to field goals or, or less in the red zone. Like being able to score an elite rate in the red zone is huge when you're playing close games like the Saints are, right? So like, I don't care whether they know it's coming because they didn't stop it. Being able to score a touchdown on first and goal, one of the most beautiful things in football because I I hate third and goal. I hate it. I despise it. Like, I would rather you just run it three times. But <laughs> yeah. But no, yeah, that, that play, uh, once you once they get in the red zone, yeah, you know it's coming, but you're right. It's unstoppable, so you, you keep feeding it. And But those aren't, the situation, the scenarios that I'm imagining, you know, Taysom throwing the football. I just imagine, though, that, you know, that little drop over the top is coming coming eventually. Maybe it'll be this this week against Seattle where we see him throw a pass. But I know that it's uh, something that everyone's anxious to finally see happen instead of just him running up the middle or, or off to the side. It'll happen eventually. But again, like, I, I still think, like, if you're in, if you're in short yardage, like that's the one of the reasons I think overreacting to losing Latavius Murray is kind of short-sighted because I think you know he scored he scored a goal line touchdown in that game. I still think anytime you are at first and goal from the anything inside the three, hand it to Taysom Hill. Well, not, don't hand it to Taysom Hill. Snap it to Taysom Hill there three go, times, right? and if they stop him three times in a row, good for them because they didn't even come close to stopping him on that first and goal. The Falcons in Week One couldn't stop him from like the 11th, right? No. Like that's a miserable thing for a defense to have to try to stop. You have an extra blocker out there and you're making it hurt. And I'm okay with it. I like it. I, I get excited every time I see Taysom Hill on the field because like, that's what I want to see. I don't want to see Taysom the quarterback. I want to see Taysom the athlete. And that's what we got. And, and I'm okay with it. Well, just because too, he's that violent, ferocious runner and even more so than Mark Ingram, uh, just a, a very physical guy. and you know he's not ducking out of bounds ever. He's definitely lowering the head and keep trucking forward. And his numbers, I'd, lo I'd love to see them feed him the ball more as another guy uh, in this offense that I don't think has been utilized just enough. But I know they've had their issues with the you know penalties, putting them in awkward situations for drives as well. We're going to get into a lot of that in the next segment. We're going to also dive into, you know, Alvin Kamara's interview, which was great. I love listening to Alvin Kamara talk. He's so good with the media. Um, we're going to get into a lot of that in the next segment. Then we're going to have Bob Condota, Seahawks reporter from the Seattle Times, kind of breaking down what the Saints should be expecting in this Week 5 matchup with the Seahawks. The Geno Smith-led Seahawks, who, are, who have a better record than the Saints, Gino. which, you know, if, you, if I was a betting man, I would not have made that bet, and that's why I'm not a betting man, because I always lose. Anyway, stick around on Inside Black and Gold. Make sure to hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcast. Back inside Black and Gold, Steve Geller along with Jeff Nowak brought to you by the Lamarck Automotive Complex. There must be a reason. Now we're getting into someone who had a very interesting media availability this week, and it was great talking to Alvin Kamara in the locker room. One, because he's so personable. Two, because he's basically told us he is good to go and play in this week, even though still limited on the injury report with that rib injury. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, I think 
everybody knows me. I, I think the main thing for me is just being able to help the team in any way I can. So um, physically, if there's a time where I feel like I can't do that, then you know I can't I can't be out there because the worst the the last thing I want to do is is um, negatively impact the game. You know, so uh, just being all the way healthy and, and available on Sundays that's my my biggest thing so that's why I mean obviously last week was kind of up in the air didn't go um this week I'm feeling great healthy um ready to roll so I'll be out there he's got that infectious smile I feel like that's very similar to Zion Williamson's yeah he's just so good you know he's fun to talk to he makes you feel better about this team when you talk to him like you forget that this is a team that's just been miserable to watch and Um, even in in that big group setting you still feel like it's you're one-on-one with the guy he's yeah he's just really great and that's why i think he's even won the uh, media appreciation award from the uh the writers and reporters here for i think the last two seasons right you forget that he's like currently facing criminal charges in las vegas right he's what? So what are you talking about <laughs> i don't know it was funny because when they still have the the plexiglass up in the in the locker room and so there's like these plexiglass barriers between the lockers and fletcher mackle from wdsu is sitting there on the opposite side of it and alvin's like talking to the press group in front of him like directly in front of him and then fletcher <laughs> fletcher just starts talking to him from behind the glass it almost looked like a prison phone call, right? Oh, totally. Absolutely, right? <laughs> I, I think I thought the same thing. Yeah, Alvin starts knocking on the glass. It was very funny. Nothing, no content there. It was just a very funny moment. But yeah, and I feel one of the things he said was he thinks he probably came back a little too early when he came back in week three against the Panthers. And I feel a little vindicated in that because one of my main observations off the game was he didn't look right. Like he was out there, he played, he did what he could. But there were moments in that game you're like, that's not that's not Alvin. Like that's not the dominant Alvin Kamara that's gonna lead you to wins. Like it's gonna that's gonna tilt this game in the Saints' favor, right? That fumble very much looked like a guy who was like, ow. <laughs> you know, it just it yeah. takes your attention away for a second and then you're just not right. That fumble, the little drop he had at the end of the first half, you know, where he just kind of fluttered and he just didn't catch it. You know, these are plays that it's like, oh, you know, if you're if you're like when you're normally 100% locked in, you're like 93% locked in because your rib is just aching, right? Like you can see you could see that happening a little bit, I think. And it was similar to what you saw at the end of the 2019 season when he was, you know, we learned later on he was playing on a torn MCL and he had similar, like he was limited. And you saw that in week three. He didn't play in week four. He will play in week five. If I, you know, I would be stunned. I would be stunned if Jameis and Mike T get out there. I would be right. stunned if my Alvin Kamara isn't out there for week five. And hopefully he said he's feeling good, right? It's a rib cartilage injury. It's kind of weird. He said, there's nothing you can do for it. Sometimes you wake up and you're uh, feeling right. great. Sometimes you're feeling terrible. And, you know, hopefully it's a case where you get the 100% Alvin Kamara, because as we've seen in these matchups with the Seahawks, the last couple of years or the last three years, He's a dominant factor in those matchups, right? We saw last year, he, I think he had 10 catches in the first half. Making teams have to account for him, that changes the game. No, and that's what I thought was going to be a big X factor for the game against the Vikings. I felt like the Saints really needed him as part of the offense to get things cranked up. And when that didn't happen, it was definitely disappointing. But glad to see that week of rest helped him out because, yeah, he... He mentioned a few times that he's ready to go. And even the fact that he's going to have some extra padding uh, for that rib area. And you just hope that it doesn't impact his running anyway. That his, you know, you see him more confident as a runner, even too. I agree that game against the Panthers, he just wasn't the AK we're used to seeing. And I got to imagine that's weighing on your mind. Like we saw, we've seen with Jameis Winston when he had some green in front of him able to run and he kind of was hesitant to step forward for those yards and just throwing the ball away instead. But yeah, Alvin Kamara, you, you need this guy to lead the offense right now, especially with Michael Thomas still out with that foot injury, AKA a toe injury. I don't know why they put it as a foot, but we know it's a toe issue. Uh, Right now, the the stud of this offense has definitely been rookie Chris Olave, but a, a presence in your running game, like an Alvin Kamara that can, you know, take take the ball on the ground and also catch the catch passes f- from whoever's that quarterback is going to be so vital for this offense because yeah, you have to account for him everywhere he's on the field. 
Alvin Kamara, a.k.a. The X Factor. Always. You like it? Um, yes. Yeah, and so I want to kind of get into this a little bit, but this is actually based on the question that Fletcher asked him, which is, you know, if Alvin does make play this game and Andy Dalton starts, that'll be a sixth different quarterback since the end of the 2020 season, right? You had Drew Brees, then you had Jameis, then you had Trevor Simeon, then you had Ian Book, because Alvin was one of like the few Saints players that actually did play against Miami in that game. And then it would be Andy Dalton would be this number six. And it's kind of asked about, you know, that's, that's, that's weird, right? Six different quarterbacks in three seasons, you know, that, that changes the dynamics, right? We talked to Pete Carmichael today and it was like, you know, he kind of downplayed the idea, but like when you have Jameis Winston out there versus Andy Dalton, your play calling changes, your scheme changes, the defenses you're facing change. Like you're going to see a lot more cover too, because they know that they can just compress everything. You're not going to try to beat them over the top. But this is what this is what Alvin had to say, and he had a really funny line about Andy Dalton. And it's just, you know, finding the rhythm, finding that comfort with, with a new quarterback, you know, sitting there taking snaps. But I think um, with Jameis and, and Andy, I mean, both talented quarterbacks, both can get the job done. I mean, obviously, we saw Andy last week. You know, he was able to get in there, and he looked comfortable. He was able to um, deliver some good throws. Um, you know, we got a little bit off schedule with some penalties again, some turnovers. I mean, he turned the ball over. You know, I know he's more critical of himself than we are. You know, he 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 obviously wants that back. But, you know, um, just what, like you said, over the past few years, just having that many different quarterbacks. And, you know, just with that, you have, you know, okay, we got to play to – sometimes you, you're playing to uh, a guy's strengths. And, you know, some guys might not be able to do what, you know, another guy does. Like Taysom, he's really good with, you know, getting getting – yards with his on the uh, on the ground with his feet you know Andy we saw last week he couldn't get it done <laughs> he pulled the ball and tried to run he got caught I was like oh my I didn't talk to him about that yet but Andy you slow as hell <laughs> but uh you know it's just it's just playing trying to find a way to play the uh guy's strengths and I mean that's all across the board you know um from for every position you know playing the, playing in the strengths but uh we find a way to get it done you know everybody got to uh pick up the slack wherever that may be and we just keep rolling it's football yep Andy a, Dalton, a stud on the field and a stud in an interview. The guy's awesome. Yeah. Well, and so if you're if you're not familiar with what he's referring to there, that was that zone read action in the second half where Andy, you know, it, to his in defense, Daniel Hunter was ignoring him completely. He was like, "There's zero percent chance Andy Dalton pulls that ball out and tries to outrun me to the end zone." Well, lo and behold, Andy Dalton pulled the ball and tried to run and you could see it almost worked like Daniel kind of stumbled as he was like, he was like, Oh God, you know, and he, he's obviously chased Andy Dalton down because he can move at like three times the pace of Andy Dalton. It was like, it was like a gazelle trying to run down like, like a possum. Like it was, it was like, Oh no, it's going to happen. Kamara is not helping Dalton's Madden rating. They're going to end up dropping it after hearing that. They're definitely going to drop his speed score. Yeah, because Andy Dalton has a 73 speed rating in Madden. I think that's generous. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it, you know the the more serious element here is it, you know when we if Andy Dalton does start in this game and Alvin Kamara does play, which is both looking likely, which looks likely, yeah, yeah, you're gonna come out of it, and if you are looking for ammunition for why Andy Dalton should continue to be the starter over Jameis Winston. And I'm not saying that should be the case. I'm just saying if you're looking for ammunition, if you're looking for a talking point to make that argument, it will be Alvin Kamara was used in the passing game the way he should have been being used in all of Jameis's starts. Hallelujah. Like we know that Andy's not going to push the ball down the field. And I think that's actually hurting them from an offensive perspective because teams are going to sit on routes. And we saw that against the Vikings. That's why Cam Dantzler should have had two picks that he didn't have. And that would have changed the game. We, you know, we, we'd be talking about Nadia Dalton much differently if Cam Dantzler had intercepted one or both of those passes. But anyway, let, let's just kind of scroll yeah, back that's around. Easy, that's easy to forget about because when you said that, my eyes were just like, oh, yeah. Right. And it's like it, it's it's something that as you face better defenses is going to be an issue. If they are able to sit on routes because they don't believe that you're going to try to beat them over the top, it's what teams were doing to Drew Brees the, the last couple yeah. of years of his career. But Alvin Kamara in the two games he's played, 11 targets, five catches, 19 receiving yards. Last year against the Seahawks, he had 10 catches for 121 yards. Like that's how you need to use Alvin Kamara. And if you are not, then that's the argument that I would make is Jameis has had 
ample opportunities to show that he can incorporate your best offensive player into the game the way he needs to be, and he has not been able to do it. Now, obviously, Alvin's been hurt. Alvin's missed two starts. So there hasn't been a ton of opportunity this season, right? You're only talking about week one and week three. Um, week one, you were playing from behind the whole way. You know, it is it is what it is. But And then week three, Alvin was limited. But right. like that's to me, that Until is the big thing. Right. If you were Andy Dalton and you are able to use Alvin Kamara and in a way that influences winning, then then that's the that's an argument that I would actually look at and be like, yeah, that's a good point. Like I'm not I can't refute that. Um, because I don't think that Andy Dalton should continue to be the starter. But if he's able to use Alvin Kamara and Jameis is not, that's all I got. There's no doubt. You, everyone knows who the top offensive weapon is on this squad and getting AK involved in not just handing the ball off to him, but like you mentioned with the passing game, if it's just something that that's not Jameis's strong point. And we've seen that, you know, with, with running backs, even the tight end group seems to be on the MIA missing an action list when Winston's in the game. And I don't know if that was necessarily the case though, when he was in Tampa Bay. I don't think it was either. This is assuming that Andy utilizes him better, right? If he doesn't, then I'm start to then you start to question Alvin. <laughs> because you've had multiple multiple guys and one who's gonna, you know, it's like I I would be stunned if if Alvin isn't peppered with targets with Andy Dalton in there. And that's more out of necessity than anything else, but I'm okay with Alvin getting used out of necessity. Right? I'm not okay with him getting pounded between the tackles 20 times a game. Because exactly. if that's the case, then you should have signed Latavius Murray to the active roster oh, and no. traded Alvin because that's not how he should be being used. And that's the frustrating thing. It's like, I want to see Chris Olave getting these targets downfield, but I also want to be see Alvin getting the ball in space. And you haven't seen that. Yeah, and uh, another one that sh- looks like he's on track to be in the game this week is Jarvis Landry, which is getting more and more weapons back for this offense that desperately needs to start get- getting things going not only just an entirety, but also we got to get some points in the start of games. I feel like it's been forever since the Saints have scored a touchdown to, in the first quarter. Yeah, they have 17 points total in the first half of the first four games. That's, that's not going to get it done. That's an average of less than five points in the first half uh, this season. But fun fact, Jarvis Landry, one of the few Saints players who has not committed a turnover this season. Uh-huh. Um, and that's what I want to talk about as we close this segment out. 11 turnovers in four games. You are averaging a shade under three turnovers a game. That is the highest number in the NFL. As a defense, you have only forced four turnovers. So you are minus seven in turnover differential. Wolf. That's bad, guys. That is bad. B-A-D. And to, to worsen that, you are also second in the NFL with 36 penalties, and you are first in the NFL in penalty yardage against at about 391. How is this you know, team not 0-4, you know? Right. Like, we can talk all we want about the things the Saints need to do better on offense, why this isn't working, why that isn't working, blah, 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 blah. If you were leading a league in turnovers and, and penalty yardage, right. you're a bad football team. You're going to lose games. Like, it does not matter how talented you are. You are losing those games. And uh, this is what Alvin had to say about that. Me and DA kind of talked about it a little bit, but, you know, I mean, it's football. You're not going to be perfect. Sometimes some of these things are happening in practice. And, you know, I think starting with me, like, you know, I, we, we might see it. And, you know, whereas I think in, in the past, sometimes we're, we're, we're more, I think, focused and more, I think, harder or more harsh on it than, than we have been. In these past couple of weeks, so you know, it's just it's it starts with you know the captains. I mean, me being a captain on offense, Ram and Jameis and Andy, like guys like that, just stepping up and being like, "Yo, that's not acceptable. We can't keep doing that because when we do it in practice and don't say shit, then it ends up happening on Sunday, and then you know it's it's not like we could redo on Sunday. You know, you end up losing, and that's what happens. We we're losing ball ball games because of this and not staying on schedule because of that. So, um, you know, I think just got to be more vocal and be more <laughs> attentive and 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 basically just more detailed when it comes to things like that, like those pre-snap penalties and just penalties, period, mistakes. I'm glad you played that because to me that's a huge bite there that really directs a lot of what's going on to the coaching staff to me because he talked about being more vocal and being 
you know, more on top of things, even in practice. And to me, that that's got to be on the coaches. Well, I, I disagree with that to an extent. You know, I, I think the coaches are harping on this, but you need to self-police as a player, right? Because the coaches aren't players. The captains need to reinforce that, right? They're on the field. If someone's screwing up and you're standing next to them and you're not telling them about it because you don't feel like that's your place, then you're not doing your job as a team captain, right? And I think when you when you have a team that doesn't have Drew Brees anymore, you don't have Teron Armstead, you don't have Sean Payton, and now you don't have who a guy who most people don't appreciate this about him, but would not let you get away with anything in practice, C.J. Gardner-Johnson. If you were not doing your job right, he was going to tell you about it, right? He was going to make sure you knew that you that you messed up something, right? And and it probably is, you know, one of the reasons guys wanted to punch him in the face. Hmm. But that's also value. That's valuable. And you look at the list of players who have turned the ball over, right? Like this right. isn't like a special teamer that just shows up and, and, and gets his hands on the ball and drops it. You have fumbles from Alvin Kamara for a touchdown. Mark Ingram, he's fumbled twice. Deontay Hardy has fumbled a kick return. Ugh. Andy Dalton has fumbled in the backfield. A majority of these have gone for points. And then you have Jameis Winston throwing five interceptions. You know, quarterbacks throwing interceptions. That's not unusual, but, you know, four of them in one quarter is unusual, and that's what he had. Um, to that's me, bad. Like, when you mentioned Sean Payton there, to me, that just different personality and that more aggressive nature, nature I don't see that this kind of – issue happening under his reign uh fair to dennis allen or not but i think that right now the coaching staff has to get on these players more along with the captains policing everything well the problem is on offense you don't have sean payton and you didn't replace him right it, it, that's to me that's the tough thing where it's like we can get on dennis allen and saying that that he's not policing the players enough but he's a defensive guy right right and i just don't know you know pete carmichael he's been there forever guys respect him but is he is he a guy who have you can imagine like like tearing tearing someone a new one for a mistake? Does he seem like that guy? You know, it's like he I I don't I don't know if I've ever seen him like change his his decibel level at, at like one one centimeter up or down. Like he is very even keeled, and I think he's probably like an an offensive just wonderkind to an extent like he knows all of this stuff but you got to be able to communicate it and you got to be able to call people out and if he's not able to do that at a level that is is solving problems and it's got to be on the captains and that's why i think i appreciate that answer from alvin Kamara because he is a respected voice in that locker room he can't stand there and be like yeah whatever like i i am a superstar i'm gonna show up and i'm gonna do my job and hopefully that's enough like he has to do more yeah. and i think he's ready to this is this is going to be a big week for a lot of reasons. And, we, you know, you mentioned his past stats against the Seattle Seahawks. This run defense is nothing special coming into this game. So hopefully uh, the Saints and Kamara, Mark Ingram, Dwayne Washington, who knows, maybe maybe Tony Jones Jr. is actually active for a game. We, we see him get some action. Maybe not. But I, I just think that obviously that run game has to be in full force against a weak Seattle defense to just help out a little bit, help out their quarterback, which is likely going to be Andy Dalton. I agree. And, uh, you know, I don't want to be sitting here talking about a one and four start. I might just, no. I, might just I might just mothball this podcast. We, we, <laughs> we heard the Cajun Cannon Bobby Bear say this week, if they lose to Seattle, he might retire. So, yeah, there's, there's so much going on with this game. I think everybody's on that brink where – they're they're hungry. They're desperate. They're salivating for that win right now. I really did thought it was think it was going to come in London. Oh, so close to heading to overtime. Oh well, but you know, moving forward, these next two games at home are so crucial. Just because you are at home, and uh, I think we talked about it before too. It's like this was supposed to be the quote unquote easy part of your schedule. It's just going to get more brutal from here. Yeah, I mean it's it's been four days, and I'm still not convinced Will Lutz kick isn't going in. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm <laughs> seeing the post game the the post video reaction. You know, obviously you don't see everything, but the Dennis Allen, you know, hands in the air is gut wrenching to watch as that double doink is going on. Well, that slow motion replay. Oh. It's like you watch it, you know what's going to happen. And you're like that ball's going in. It has yeah, to. How is it? Doesn't it? The physics don't make sense. It if see, if that game good. was in America. That would have gone in. 
everything's backwards in London. That's why that's why it stayed out. I like right? it. The, we'll go with the, that, the, right? You know, the, the equator and the the prime meridian or whatever it is. I don't I don't know. I think I think I'm onto something. Like you know, how the water swirls the opposite direction. Is that true? Right. Is that actually so did the ball? That, wait, that's that's not that's not in London. No, that's I like didn't. And you know what? The the definitely the toilet in my hotel room. There was like a waterfall of water coming down to push all my excrement out out the other. Uh, I was imp- I was impressed. Don't say excrement dude. on this podcast. That <laughs> I you can curse all you want. If you say excrement one more time, I am canceling you from this podcast. I, I was just impressed with the water pressure in the shower and on the toilet. I guess. Good to know. That's that's yes. in case any of our any of our our avid listeners were wondering. Steve Geller was very satisfied with the water pressure of his toilet. In, Amen. In yeah, and the water, he doesn't know whether it swirled the wrong direction. They definitely drive on the wrong side of the road. But we're back now. Hopefully those kicks go through back here in the States. You have been listening to Inside Black and Gold, the only podcast where we talk about excrement, at least the only Saints podcast where we talk about it. Stick around. We're going to have Bob Condota, Seahawks reporter for the Seattle Times, going to break down a lot of what we can expect to see against the Seahawks in week five hopefully it's a saints win stick around on inside black and gold make sure to rate subscribe leave a review wherever you get your podcast this is brought to you by the lamarck automotive complex there must be a reason let's do Gotta it be. Welcome back here on Inside Black and Gold. We are joined, as we said we would be, by guest Bob Condota, Seattle Seahawks reporter for the Seattle Times. Bob, how are you doing today? Uh, good, yeah. How are you guys doing? Doing good. You know, so this is a team that the Saints are familiar with in the Seattle Seahawks. They played them last year, but I'm pretty sure, you know, as we get into this, it's going to look a lot different. How has this team changed since the 2021 season with Geno Smith at the helm. Well, you guys actually saw Geno Smith, if you remember. So that was one of the three games he had to start last year mm-hmm. was against the Saints. So um, that was his second start after he had started at, at Pittsburgh. Um, so uh, it'll the, the offense will look a little bit different just because they've, they've, they've sort of now tailored it totally to Geno as opposed to what they had been doing with Russell last year. He sort of, you know, Geno kind of had to step in on the fly and, and all that. Um, but, you know, it's it, I mean, the offense is pretty – pretty similar uh, other than the, the offensive line has had uh, three new starters, but otherwise, I mean, it's DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and, you know, Will Disley and, and, and Rashad Penny. Uh, Penny actually didn't play. I, I don't think against the saints last year it was, he was, that was when he was sort of going through his injury issues as well. So their running back situation was sort of a mess at that time last year. So, I mean, that's probably one, one of the really big things is just the, you know, with, with Penny, their running game has really advanced a lot at the end of last year. And, and he's coming off his best game of this season. Granted, against a terrible defense in Detroit, so uh, you know you got to take everything they sort of did last week with a big uh, with a big grain of salt. They played the 49ers, who might be the best defense in the NFL two weeks ago, and and were shut out. And then two weeks later, they played a terrible defense and scored 48 points. So um, you know, obviously, the the opponent matters a lot there in terms of when you look at their numbers. But they are feeling good about themselves right now, coming off that game. And and yeah, Geno Smith is um, you know he's sort of picking up where he left off last year. If you go back and look at his numbers last year, they were pretty good, um, and that was part. Part of why they felt confident in, in turning the job over to him, they were essentially the same as Russell Wilson's during the same, you know, the, the, basically the three and a half games he had to play last year. And and this year he's sort of just doing more of the same. I don't think that anybody expected four weeks into the season that, you know, Geno Smith would have better numbers than Russell Wilson would at this point. Uh, what has been the, I guess, fan reaction about, you know, the Geno takeover in Seattle? Yeah, I, people are pretty excited about it at the moment um, because uh, no doubt, I mean, for the obvious reasons, there was a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of nervousness and trepidation about uh, what's this team going to look like uh, without having Russell there. Uh, you know, again, the fact that he did play those three games last year, you know, he played well when he had to step in when Russell got hurt against the Rams in that game. And then, uh, you know, what was his last start against Jacksonville? He he had played well as uh, also that Saints game last year, you know, the weather was really bad. Um, that right. was that might have been about the worst weather they, they had to play in. And they, they scored that early touchdown and they were sort of trying to not, you know, make a mistake. And, you know, that game was close, obviously, all the way through. So I, I think they got really conservative in that game, probably a lot more than they would now um, for all those reasons. But, um, 
Yeah, I, I mean, nobody, nobody anywhere could have thought he's going to be completing seventy-seven percent of his passes and and doing all that so far. Um, and uh, but you know, for sure, people are excited about it at the moment. Just kind of shifting to the opposite side of the ball, I think that's the other thing about the Seahawks that you kind of look at and it stands out is forty-five points to the Amon Ra St. Brownless Lions last week. You know, what is the identity of this def- defensive group? Is it? without Jamal Adams, especially, you know, is, is it a team that's still kind of finding its way there? Yeah, for sure. I, I think they're surprised by the struggles they've been having. Uh, obviously the loss of Jamal, he got hurt uh, um, basically one, you know, early in the second quarter of the opener. So he really only played one quarter of football this year, I think 15 snaps. So they were basing a lot um, around a kind of, a, you know, some packages they'd put in to try to get Jamal a little bit more um, rushing the passer and stuff like that this year than, than he had done last year. And, um, he actually got hurt on one of those plays uh, where he came in and, uh, and on a blitz and all that. Um, but, you know, they're a pretty veteran team up front. They, I think they thought they'd be better than, than they, they are up front. They, you know, that, especially their, that tackle group. Those are all kind of veteran, highly paid guys. And, um, you know, they, they were second in the NFL last year in yards per carry allowed at 3.8. And this year they're just getting run over by everybody. And they're allowing 5.1 yards per carry right now. Um, you know, the, the, the linebackers are sort of finding the, their way a little bit, um, you know, in the post Bobby Wagner world and, you know, and, and the secondary has been a little bit, you know, they, they sort of have two, two sure things in the secondary and Tariq Wollin and, and Quandre Diggs, but the other spots have, have kind of been up in the air and with some rotating there, um, you know, they shifted schemes a little bit going to, um, sort of the Vic Fangio three, four, that's something they, they had kind of dabbled in the last few years as well. So I, I don't know that the scheme shift is really that big of a thing, but it's certainly it's certainly something to examine as well and something they may have to continue to tinker with as they go forward. Right now, what would you say the health is of this team? I know Rashard Penny's always seems to be a guy that's banged up, but uh, what's the status of the offense and defense right now heading into Week Five's matchup against the Saints? Yeah, well, I mean, Rashad's been healthy this year. He's played and started every game, so um, I think he's fine. He didn't practice yesterday because he, you know, he played he played a lot of snaps on Sunday. I think that was right. sort of a routine maintenance kind of thing. Um, but uh, um, they, they don't have a ton of big injuries right now, other than obviously Jamal's out for the year and, and some things like that. But if sort of the guys who played against Detroit, um, they really only suffered one injury against Detroit that, that's probably going to keep somebody out, and that's a guy nobody probably has heard, has heard of. Uh, um, but Daryl Johnson, a guy they. Um, guy they claimed off waivers and, and he actually did start the game at one of the outside linebacker spots for them on Sunday. Uh, you know, another spot they're still trying to kind of find the right rotation for, but otherwise they're pretty healthy. Um, you know, the, the kind of all the, all the big name guys on the team, DK and Tyler and um, you know, their tight ends and all that. Um, all those guys have been out there for everything so far this year. Yeah. So kind of the, the broader view of this team, which is interesting to me because the saints are kind of taking it the opposite way, which is, you know, you lose this kind of franchise quarterback, and, you know, the Seahawks seem like a team that reset, but they're finding ways to win. You know, is this a team that is going to be all in going for the playoffs this season? Or, you know, how, how does that go when you kind of have that paradigm shift at quarterback? Well, I mean, the thing is, you know, the NFL is not baseball. You can't decide to only spend $30 million mm-hmm. and, and retool. You got to spend your money. Um, you know, if you go look, the Seahawks, um, I think they only got about $1 million in cap space. I mean, they've, you know, they've spent their money. They've tried to put together a team that they that they think can do things. You can't really, you know, they're, they're like the NBA. You can't just trade all your guys in tank. You, you kind of have to you know, put out a, put out a team, even if sometimes it doesn't look like that, just depending on the franchise. But, um, you know, I, I don't think Pete Carroll's wired to be like, yeah, let's just go two and 15 this year. And, and, you know, he's 71 years old and, and he's rarely had losing seasons in his co- coaching career anywhere. So I think they're trying to do their best each Sunday to, to, to win and see what happens. And, uh, um, so, you know, they do have the, you know, Denver's first round pick next year and their own, they have Denver's second round pick next year, as well as their own, um, you know, that's sort of the draft capital they, they, they sort of acquired in the Russell trade. Um, and if they are, are going to need to do some things to, to try to find a quarterback, I mean, who knows what the quarterback situation will be, um, you know, whether Gino is playing his way into being a legitimate thought, Gino turns 32 here in just a couple of days and he's only on a one-year contract. So, you know, if he keeps playing like this, that there'll be a, a big decision to make of whether to, you know, to keep him and, and decide to go that route. If he, you know, if he, keeps completing 77% of his passes, you're probably going to have to try to do that. But, you know, he, he may not be the long-term, you know, for a decade kind of answer here. So that is going to be a really big question. But, 
you know, they, they thought they put together a pretty representative team around the quarterback situation this year with the, you know, the offensive line, the, the draft picks they made there. Um, you know, you know, they tried to make some moves on defense to improve it, but you know, they spent a lot of draft capital on young defensive players the last few years and, and a lot of guys who were playing. And so, you know, their hope was this was going to be a team that sort of around the quarterback would answer a lot of questions. And then depending on what happened at quarterback, they could be pretty good, but you know, they're tied for first in the division right now. Everybody's, everybody's two and two. So, you know, I, I don't think they're going to try not to make the playoffs. I think they're going to try to do what they can and, and see what happens. Would you say there's, is there a name on offense that, uh, Saints fans should be aware of. Obviously, we know the DK Metcalfs, the Tyler Lockett, uh, even aware of Will Disley. I know he's caught three touchdowns this year, the tight end. But is there another name that uh, we should be looking out for to be an impact player on Sunday? Yeah, I, I mean, the guy who's uh, on offense, who's kind of come along uh, this year, who um, the Seahawks were really hoping would and so far has, is Colby Parkinson, number 84. He's one of their other you – know, they sort of have – um, you know, kind of two starting tight ends and Noah Fant and Will Disley. And then yeah. Parkinson has played quite a bit. They, you know, they use three tight ends a lot, uh, th- three tight end sets a lot. But, you know, their tight ends are sort of their de facto third and fourth receivers right now. If you go if you go look at the numbers, they, you know, have just guys listed as receivers. They don't have a lot of catches other than from DK and Tyler. Um, but they're sort of using their tight ends and especially Noah Fant and Colby Parkinson as sort of, you know, alternate receivers in a lot of these. And so Parkinson's had a couple of big plays. He scored a touchdown. Um, he, he's, he, I think he's averaging almost 18 yards per reception. I think he only has six of them, but that's sort of what he's been is kind of this big play guy so far. Um, you know, six, seven and a pretty fast guy. Um, and I think he's still only 23 years old. He came out early from Stanford. So, um, you know, he's probably the guy that maybe if you haven't heard of before, who you could see out there making some plays on Sunday. Again, we're talking to Bob Condota, Seahawks reporter for the Seattle Times. Bob, one more quick question, then I'll let you go. You know, that week one game with Russell coming back to face the Seahawks, you know, what was the atmosphere like in that building as the, as the Seahawks won that game? Because I think, you know, if you went around and polled 100 people, you would have got 100 uh, Broncos win this game answers. You know, what was the atmosphere like for that game? Yeah, well, I actually picked the Seahawks in the paper, so I guess I'm the one who didn't, but everybody just called me a homer. But, I, you know, they, they, they've had a way of, under Pete Carroll, of finding ways to win games like that. I mean, just their primetime record, you know, even before Russell. Um, and you guys were at the hands of one of it, you know, the, the 2010 Beast Quake game against the Saints. I mean, mm-hmm. nobody thought they could win a game like that. Right. Um, you know, Pete has just always kind of had this knack for, uh, especially at home, for getting these guys, getting these guys in a position to win a lot of games like this. It was, you know, unfortunately, we're tucked away in the corner in a closed press box. So you don't necessarily get that same atmosphere if I was sitting in the stands. Um, but from everybody who was in the stands, people have compa- compared it to a lot of the games played the two Super Bowl years and just kind of the, the atmosphere of the playoff games during those years um, for just kind of the, the raucousness of it. You know, obviously it was a, you know, the Seahawks took the lead early and they they never, it was either tied or the Seahawks were in the lead the whole way. So, um, you know, so Seahawks fans were really into it from the start and, and um, obviously it came down to, you know, some, some really key, some really key uh, red zone situations there in the second half. And the Seahawks kind of keep kept finding ways to make the plays to keep Denver out of the end zone there. And so that got everybody really excited too. So, um, you know, for sure, I, I think for a regular season game, that was probably about as, about as favored pitch as there's been there. For sure. Yeah. It reminded me a bit of Anthony Davis coming back. The Falcons couldn't get it done in that one, but I have, a, I imagine the atmosphere was very similar again. Thanks so much, uh, Bob Condota. Seahawks supporter for the Seattle Times. Make sure to check out his work to get ready for this matchup. Thanks so much for the time, Bob. All right. Thanks, guys. See you in the press box Sunday. Okay. There you have it. You know, this is a Seahawks team that is two and two. They have a better record than the Saints. I think if you went around the league and, you know, where you ranked teams, they wouldn't have been nowhere near uh, the middle of the pack uh, in terms of a team that's moving on from Russell Wilson, has all of the assets. But, you know, they're right there. And right now, the Seahawks are a better team than the Saints. So, you know, we've heard of the Beast Quake game. We've heard of the Bomb Cyclone game. Uh, I hope tomorrow has a nickname. And if it does, it's a good one for the Saints because they need it. Yeah, they need it to be like the Red Rifle returns kind of game, something like that, whatever. But yeah, the Saints need some positive mojo to get going. And yeah, good nickname. Uh, we haven't had one, I think, positive in our favor in a while. The last one I can think of, obviously, is the Minneapolis Miss. I'm not calling it the Miracle. I've said that before. But other than that, yeah, I can't think of a good Saints game that's had a nickname. The no call? Oh, you mean positively. That, that, that's terrible, too. Right. You, you mean a positive Saints nickname yeah, game? Yeah, a positive one, right. 
a positive outcome game. Yeah, we don't get any of those. No, 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 nope, no. Yeah, there was the thumb game. There was a, you know, there was a, there was a kick six. No, that's, that's the Alabama. Broncos game. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, oh man, right. The myth, this kick. I don't know if that one has a nickname, but yeah, we we we're due for a positive nickname game. So hopefully, noon Sunday at the Superdome, scream out your nicknames, and hopefully they come true. This has been Inside Black and Gold, getting you ready for week five. Saints better win. Steve, tell them. Let's get that win, baby, because one in four is just not going to be any fun to talk about. We need to at least get closer to being 500. I can't believe that's what we're, we're aiming for at this point. Yeah, it's never a good feeling when you have to win to get to near 500. Yes. This has been Inside Black and Gold brought to you by the Lamarck Automotive Complex. There must be a reason. Make sure to hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a rating. Give us a review. And let us know what you think. That's the end.